0: My name is Phil Stinson and I'm an associate professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green State University. In this episode of the Police Integrity Loss Podcast, we listen to a recording of an interview of me by Rushini Rajkumar that originally aired live on WCCO News Radio 880 in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area of Minnesota on June 15, 2017.
1: Rashini Rajkumar with you. Today we have quite a show, but first a much more serious topic as we here in CCO land are waiting for the verdict in the Officer Yana's trial. Uh, we wonder and we look at different statistics about what happens and what's the history or some of the stats when it comes to Officer-involved shootings, officer-involved killings, and for that, we're turning to former police officer, currently professor at Bowling Green State University, Philip Stinson. Hello there, Professor Stinson. Hi, good morning. It's wonderful to talk with you. First off, give, give us kind of the layout here. What are the numbers? What are the statistics like when it involves, you know, officers killing and ultimately being charged?
2: Okay, so when we're talking about on-duty shootings, so uh, officers who are arrested for murder or manslaughter resulting from an on-duty shooting, it's a very rare event. So in my research, we're dealing with outliers, we're dealing with small samples. But to give it some context, the best estimate that I can give you, and there really aren't good numbers on this particular point going back more than about two or three years, but the best estimate that I can give you is that between 900 and 1,000 times a year, an on-duty police officer in the United States shoots and kills somebody. And of those 900 to 1,000 times a year, only a handful of the officers are actually charged with murder or manslaughter resulting from the on-duty shooting where they shot and killed somebody. So I've been tracking police crime, all sorts of crime by police officers since the beginning of 2005. And if we look at the on-duty shootings since the beginning of 2005, so about 13 years now, there have been 82 officers across the country who've been charged with murder or manslaughter resulting from an on-duty shooting, so 82 out of more than 10,000 shootings. So most shootings by police officers are found to be legally justified. There'd be some sort of a finding that, pursuant to the relevant Supreme Court standard, that the officer had a reasonable apprehension of an imminent threat of serious bodily injury or deadly force being used against the officer or someone else. Most of the cases don't result in criminal charges, but when we do look at those 82 cases, to date, of those 82 cases, 29 have resulted in an officer being convicted. And quite often it's for a lesser offense. There's only actually one former officer in prison right now for intentional murder, and that's an officer from Colorado who's serving a 16-year sentence. There were four other officers convicted of murder out of New Orleans, the Danziger Bridge incident after the Katrina hurricane, uh, but those murder convictions were overturned, but the officers ultimately were convicted on federal criminal deprivation of civil rights charges. So typically if an officer is going to be convicted, and again we're, we're dealing with a very small sample, 29 cases, cases uh, so far, it's more likely to be a manslaughter offense or even official misconduct. In one instance, it was actually reckless endangerment. Now, I want
1: to get into some of these definitions with you. I'm speaking with Philip Stinson. He is associate professor in the criminal justice program at Bowling Green State University. He is a former police officer. If you have any questions for him, send us a text, 81807 I think the piece that's really probably hard for many in the public on this one professor is you know in those past 13 years the 29 officers who who were actually convicted out of, as you say, 1,000 times a year, an on-duty police officer shoots. And since 2005, only 82 officers were actually charged with murder or manslaughter. And I'm looking at an article that you wrote, and you talk about how a lot of times, even if it goes to a grand jury, they find the officer legally justified in using deadly force. And that's the piece that a lot of people in the public probably really need more insight into. So can you share what legal justification does mean?
2: Not only grand juries, but it comes up when we have jury trials as well. The same exact thing, because the defense is raising at these trials that the officer was legally justified in shooting. There are two Supreme Court cases that guide us on this, and, and in some places I suppose there are state laws that are perhaps more restrictive. But there are two cases from the 1980s, and the first was Tennessee versus Gardner, and that, that was a 1985 decision. And then four years later, Graham versus Connor. So I mentioned the standard is that if an officer has a reasonable apprehension of an imminent threat. So that's the standard from Tennessee versus Garner, but in Graham versus Connor, the court clarified that it's an objective standard. It's what a reasonable officer in that situation would have done. And what we see in these cases recently, the officers have been testifying in their own defense, which, as a former defense lawyer, I can tell you, very dangerous thing to put your own client on the stand because there's then subject to cross examination. So even where the prosecution has laid out very carefully expert testimony that a reasonable officer would not have perceived an imminent threat of serious bodily injury or deadly force as soon as an officer gets on the stand, either at a grand jury, perhaps, or at their own criminal trial and says, I was in fear of my life, even if subjectively that's what they thought, but a reasonable officer would not have perceived the threat as such. Many jurors, grand jurors and trial jury jurors alike, uh, look at that and they say, that's it. I'm not going to second guess an on-duty police officer, a split second life or death decision. We all know that policing is violent, that police officers carry guns and sometimes they have to use them. And it's very difficult to convince jurors that it's anything other than that, that the officer was acting in an unreasonable way. And here's the difficult thing about that Supreme Court standard. You can have a case where an officer is found to be legally justified, so let's say they're not criminally charged, but at the same time, there can be a finding that the shooting was unnecessary, inappropriate and contrary to department policy. And that's a very difficult thing to explain to the public, and it's a very difficult thing to explain to victims' family members, that you could have something where it's inappropriate, unnecessary, and that you're telling me it's legally justified.
1: And one thing we have to remember, too, is these officers are putting themselves out there every single time. You know, they put on their uniform, their badge, and they walk out the door. So there are so many opportunities for them to be shot and killed. And they are protecting themselves and the public. We have several texts coming in for you, so I want to get to them. I am speaking with Professor Philip Stinson. He is part of the criminal justice program at Bowling Green State University. Here's, And I don't know if this question is for you or me, but this person says, when you use the words officer shooting, are you implying that in each Case the officer shooting, uh, of the officer shooting, the victim dies.
2: What I'm talking about here are shootings that are fatal shootings. There are other shootings, of course, where officers shoot someone and someone is not killed. And by the way, in in most of these shootings, I think, in fact, the officer was probably legally justified. And now that we have video evidence in more of these cases, we're seeing some different patterns come up that lead to officers being charged.
1: Well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think, you know, and that, that. opens up another question from me. We talk about I, ha- I have a show on Sundays. I have a regular justice contributor. He's a former officer himself. And we talk about this shoot to kill concept. And uh, he has shared and taught my listeners that, you you know, an officer is not just shooting you in the leg to kind of get you away. I mean, in most times, they know they're using deadly force. So, you know, any comment on that to maybe also help clarify this listener text?
2: When you're using a firearm, it's the application of deadly force. If you're going to do it as an officer, uh, it needs to be legally justified. So officers are not trained to shoot somebody in the leg to stop them. They're trained to center mass is what you're trained to uh, shoot at. And it's deadly force. It's shooting to kill somebody.
1: And this listener has this question. As of late, are you seeing effects of the Ferguson case in that officers are less proactive in patrol. This is coming from Frank, he's a retired police sergeant.
2: I don't think that's going on nationally. I do think that from time to time there are pockets and certainly we've seen the history of that in the early 1970s in, in part of New York City where that was certainly well documented. But I don't think that as we travel across the country that that's what's going on in most police departments. I think that police officers are professionals and that they do their job and that they're not de-policing, if you will, because of some sort of a Ferguson effect. And as to another Ferguson effect. I don't think we're seeing more officers necessarily being charged in these cases, even though there were in 2015, the year after Michael Brown was shot and killed in Ferguson, Missouri, 18 officers were charged. And that's the highest we've seen where officers are charged with murder or manslaughter resulting from an on-duty shooting. Last year it was 13, but we've only had three this year. So I think it's business as usual. I don't think there's really anything that's changed there. And the policing subculture is such that I don't think things change very quickly in terms of the way law enforcement officers conduct themselves.
1: All right. Many texts coming in for you. This listener says, how many interactions with police officers a year don't result in the officers having to shoot someone?
2: Almost every one.
1: Yeah. So it's right? multi-millions that if Absolutely. you're talking about all the officers in the entire country.
2: Many, many millions of, of encounters with citizens. It's a point well taken that we started this conversation where I said, I deal with outliers. I'm dealing with the exception to the rule, very small sample.
1: Exactly. This person is worried about recruitment. And they say, is there any other profession more scrutinized? There is no winning, concerned about recruiting the next generation.
2: Recruiting is a difficult problem in law enforcement agencies, state and local agencies, and it has been for the last 15 years or so. The first Gulf War, really, that's when it started, where people were in the military as opposed to looking at local police jobs, local fire jobs, EMS jobs. And it has become more and more difficult for agencies of all sizes to actually recruit officers for a variety of reasons. Background checks people have Problems with a lot of people that maybe would have applied for jobs as state and local law enforcement officers are not interested in the work because of all these types of issues that are going on. They don't think the public respects officers like they used to or they should. It's a huge problem. And in some agencies across the country, they've actually lowered the minimum education standards for officers, recruits, so that they can actually fill vacancies. And I think that, too, is a dangerous thing.
1: Professor Stinson, I don't know how familiar you are with the case that's going on right now in Ramsey County, which is in the St. Paul area. Of Minnesota, where it's our very first in the history of Minnesota officer charged with manslaughter. And uh, the jury is deliberating. They're on day four of deliberations. Some people are guesstimating it might be a hung jury. But in that case, the officer shot seven times, was trying to sort of assess what was happening. And this listener says, seven shots too many? Question mark?
2: When I was a young police officer, which is a long time ago now, before I went to law school and then went back to school to get a Ph.D. later on, we carried six-shot revolvers, and I would have had two speed loaders, so only 18 rounds on my person. Now, with the types of weapons, sidearms that officers are carrying, they're carrying greater firepower. They have more ammunition with them, so no. Because of that, I don't think that seven in rapid succession is necessarily, in and of itself, too many. But I had the father of uh, actually a lawyer who was killed by police officers in Ohio contact me several years ago with exactly the same question, and it was several years after his son had been shot and killed by officers. And that's the one question he had was he couldn't reconcile things because he didn't understand why they shot him so many times. Yeah, And I mean, it, it is possible to shoot too much. It's a point well taken, but I think you have to consider the types of weapons.
1: And that's probably something this jury in Ramsey County, Minnesota is dealing with right now. Well, very interesting. Thank you so much, Professor Philip Stinson, former police officer and practicing attorney formerly, Uh, really appreciate your insight. Very helpful. I mean, there are so many things every day that officers are dealing with, and it's only when we have these unfortunate tragedies that we kind of get to stop and try to really learn and understand a little more. So I appreciate your time today.
0: Oh, my pleasure. That concludes this episode of the Police Integrity Loss Podcast. It was recorded on June 15th, 2017 and originally aired live on WCCO News Radio 880 in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area of Minnesota. Support for the Police Integrity Loss Podcast was provided by the Wallace Action Fund of Tides Foundation on the recommendation of Mr. Randall Wallace. My name is Phil Stinson and I'm an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. For more information on my research, please go to www.bgsu.edu slash lost.